0: well, don't usually do this, but if you remember on Sunday, my throat was kind of giving me a hard time. Well, it turns out I was indeed getting a little sick, so I've got the cough drop going. I've got my hot tea up here, so I'm not sipping on coffee. I'm just trying to get through the sermon so you keep that in prayer. Uh, let's go before the Lord, and we're going to jump right where we left off into Joshua chapter 4. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. For blessing us in health and in sickness, Lord. And we pray that as the nation of Israel is crossing over the Jordan and heading into the promised land, that we too would be entering into new lands that you promised us and that we'd be growing in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying take for yourselves 12 men from the tribe excuse me from the people one man from every tribe and command them saying take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and the place where the priests' feet stood firm you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel in 1 man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 6. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So we have the priests who have picked up the ark. Remember the ark has gone forth in the last chapter. The Jordan stands up straight, and we know that this is a miracle. This isn't some kind of natural event because the mud is gone, it's completely dry. And one thing that we fail to take into account when we're reading this, how big of a gap is that? So we know if the water of the Jordan is standing up and it's dry because there's millions of people crossing over. How long were they there? How long was the priest standing there? That's going to be a topic of this chapter. And here, I would think that they're running straight over to Jericho, straight to getting to work. We've been waiting 40 years to do this, and the Lord's been preparing them. They just heard the closing of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law with Moses. You'd think they'd be, let's go, let's go, let's go. And the Lord says, okay, let's stop here and make a memorial. Okay, well, let's pause here. And I think about those priests, and I think of those priests holding that ark up. I do not think that thing is light. Acacia wood, gold-plated, filled with stones, filled with the manna. Incredible. Aaron's rod that butted is in there. And we see that what do the people do? All they got to do is walk through it. How is this battle won? The ark is a symbol of the presence of God, the seat of God, the seat of Jesus, his throne room. It sits there in the middle of the Jordan, and the people cross over. And what do the elders have to do? What do these priests specifically have to do? They simply have to stand there and uphold the glory of God. All they got to do is let the Lord do his work. Excuse me. We're going to be hitting the English tea, English breakfast tea today. And it's a reminder to me how we win our battles spiritually. I've heard a rumor that spiritual warfare is kind of up, a lot of things going on. To me, that means tremendous victory. But when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're usually referencing Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament, the putting on the full armor of God sword the shield the helmet of salvation and all the different accoutrement but we we usually forget how that section opens up it says finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might as the ark is standing there the priests just have to be faithful and let the lord do his work all they got to do is just stand firm stand firm there and the people can pass through And then when they pass through, they're going to say, let's make a memorial. Let's look back on this about how the Lord will deliver. Now, I'm going to do today what is called eisegesis. That is a bad thing, unless you know what's happening. Exegesis means you're reading from the text what the text means in its context. Eisegesis means I'm pulling some things out of the text. I'm adding or reading into the text. So that means I get a cop-out because I told you up front what I'm doing. That means I'm kind of spiritualizing. I'm doing a little bit of symbolism. What am I I going to do? When I thought about those priests crossing over and I thought about them standing there, I'm thinking they're there for hours. They could be there for days, standing there as all of these people are crossing over the Jordan. Are you willing to stand and let the Lord do his work? What if they quit? What if they had put it down? What if they had just said, hey, bring in the B team? Because we know in the Old Testament scriptures that if you touch the ark and you're not a Levite, you're not a priest. Even if it's for its benefit, say it was falling off a cart, which is not supposed to be on a cart. What happened? The man who touched it died instantly. This is a very serious thing to uphold the word of God, the symbol of God. And the priest has to stand there. And so my mind just goes a little bit. I see his knees shaking beneath his robes. I see him seeing the people go, oh, Lord, could they just move a little bit faster? But I don't know that. I'm reading into it. And then I apply it to ourselves. Are you willing to stand in the word of God, stand in grace? Are you willing to stand up in society and let the Lord do his work? We know that there's no power in us. We, we know that there's nothing good that dwells in us, like Paul would say. Are we willing to be obedient to his scriptures and to walk in that calling? And that is one of the great mysteries of God. God told them they were going to be victorious, right? God told them he's given in the promised land. God told the priests, you're going to stand there in the midst. And when I when you go and you take that step of faith and you your sandal hits that water, I'm going to hold it up. But the priest had to actually do it. They had to walk, and they had to fulfill that commandment and that promise. Now, we know that God is willing. He is, when he says he's going to do something, he cannot lie. He cannot bear false witness. He cannot change his mind. He does not change. So it's going to happen. And this is the mystery for them and for us. What is our part? What if the priests had failed? What if they didn't? Well, we won't know because they didn't. They stood firm. And so the question for us is, are we going to stand firm? When, we're, when the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh wants to put it down. The flesh is buckling at the knees. The, the flesh wants us to say, hey, it's somebody else's turn. But we're called. Are we willing to stand? They were. Well, then you, you switch to the next portion is, while they're standing there, the Lord says, hey, go get 12 men and pick some stones. And I, and I think to the priest, I'm just like, oh, are you serious now? Can we just get across?" But this is important. God wants them and their children and the future to see. You know, the statues in the United States of America are nothing compared to these memorial stones that God has given them. But what are we seeing in the United States today? We're removing memorial stones. Now, I am not saying that is good or bad because in some cases, maybe it's not good that we're glorifying some of these people. What I think is bad what I think is negative is when we try and erase their existence and we don't even mention it. We should mention the good and the bad. We should show all of the history and we should learn from our mistakes and we should revel in our victories. I praise God that the true and living God in his book is different than any other biblical, any other so-called divine book and that it records the people's failures before we continue on and we talk about these memorial stones and the application, there is a reason you don't hear in the Egyptians' history anything about the 12 plagues. You'd be like, the the atheist and the agnostic, the anti-Christian says, well, you see, that's just all made up. Well, in Egypt history, when you're looking at the hieroglyphs, you won't see a single battle that's lost. You won't see a single disease or a famine. It's only the good stuff because the Egyptian history is better than North Korean propaganda. They never lose. There was re- I'm going off on a side tangent here. You just got to bear with me. I'm a little sick. But there's, there's this uh, report coming out of North Korea that uh, Kim Jong, whatever, one of them hit seven holes in one in a row or like 18 holes in a row. You're just like, they believe this or are they just saying it? Well, that's how Egyptian history worked. They wouldn't have any failings. And so you don't have a record of the 12 plagues. You don't have a record of any of them ever losing or anything bad. And coming back to the text here, when you see the nation of Israel, they record their failures. But it's also good for us to record our victories. Get these 12 memorial stones and we're going to place them here. And we're going to talk about where they are and what happened to them, and and we'll talk about that a little bit, but the most important things are, what are your memorial stones in your family, in your life? What are the victories that God gave you? And we don't look at them and we say, man, we were so amazing. We look at them in our family history or in our lives and we say, even though these are my failures, these are God's victories, because apart from him, Jesus said, we can do nothing. Now, if you don't have any memorial stones, because you don't have any victories, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet. You're not letting the Lord do his work. You're not picking up the ark. You're not following his commandments. You're not trusting in his promises. You're probably sitting and pouting. You're probably back in the desert wanting to go back to Egypt because there's quote-unquote watermelons and leeks. You're thinking of the things that were, and I'll say this is even more dangerous for those of us that are a little older in the room because of this little thing called nostalgia that's when we have a difficult memory and suddenly it becomes something we revel in and we look at it It's like, oh, it was so great back then. It was amazing. It was a wonderful time in my life. But if we could hop into the time machine and go back and put the microphone in that person's face, they would say how difficult it is, how terrible it is, how they can't wait till the Lord delivers them or leads them, or they're maybe not even seeking the Lord. And we go back in your past and we see, well, maybe it wasn't so great after all. Why do I say this? What is the of Jesus from this text? What is the stretch here? Where are you going? Where are, where are your victories? What do you look back on and say, these are my memorial stones? This is what the Lord is doing? What are you standing in now and holding the ark and your knees maybe are buckling and sh- shaking and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand in the faith in this situation? And the next is, what's next? What's your next chapter? What's your next victory? What's your next battle? See, we're not supposed to stay in the desert. We're definitely not supposed to stand there in the middle of the Jordan. We're supposed to go to the promised land where there is more work to be done, more battles and more steps of faith, but we're also to put stones along the way. And we should look at them, the good and the bad, objectively through the word of God. Well, now let's read verses 10 through 18, and they're going to talk a little bit more about this process, and then we'll backtrack a little bit. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, As Moses had spoken to them, about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the first of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. So 40,000, that's just the soldiers from Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And that's just two tribes and a half tribe right so you have the 12 tribes their children their grandchildren their older their elderly their soldiers their mighty men of valor from the other tribes they're all crossing over plus the 40,000 you imagine how many people that is let's think logistically here if you've been in business you've been in the military you've had a large family you know about logistics i mean even just getting your kids to the soccer field and the football field and back to school and going to church you have to think logistics when you're uh, commanding military units or you're in business and you're trying to get the right material in the right place think of all that logistics now i want you to multiply that by a river crossing even though it's on dry land times a million people food lodging military equipment your tents your supplies your money your resources your are sick you're elderly, you're young, you're strong, and you're going into enemy territory. Well, how does that play on you? And all the only instructions you are given by God is, go take the Levites, the priests, go walk the ark into the middle, stand there, get to the other side. I'm thinking, how, do you, how many people? How long does it take? How far is the gap? How can they get there? What do they got to do? How long is it going to take per person? All right, if I do a million people and I multiply that they're walking at a certain pace and they're going to be this far apart and they've got this much stuff and I'm trying to calculate it all and I'm like, oh my gosh. We don't think often about our part to play in the big movement of God. You see, the focus is on the ark in the middle of the Jordan and the priests and it's on Joshua. And we sometimes take our gaze away from the million people, and I'm using that number just roughly, and their part to play. Each one of them has to go over. It's not half the people of Israel. It's not just the strong. They all have a part to play in this. Well, we do the same thing in the church. We get focused on just the pastor. What is he saying? How is he saying it? Why is he drinking tea and not decaf coffee? Why is he not, he should just have water with lemon in it. And you get this focus on just that one person. Little do you know, on, or if you're being taught well, you understand, you know, he's just standing there with the ark. I mean, I've just got the word of God. That's all I do. Nothing fancy. But every one of us has a part to play on this journey. We all got victories and land to take and places to go in our own families, in our own hearts, in your workplaces where the Lord brings you. And all of this, are in, we're all in this together. And so if our focus is on one thing, or one ministry or one person we pray here that that focus is going to be on the glory and the work of god on his word and not on the individual i praise the lord none of those priests are named we have no idea who they are how many were there probably four one for each side for the rods that went through the uh, through the ark because they can't touch the ark itself they can only touch the rods And i thank god that no, nobody's mentioned except for joshua now i want us to think another level here <clears throat> they get the people across and the Bible says the priests are standing there the whole time and I said we're going to backtrack a little bit to the first section of this chapter then Joshua decides to have a conversation like these guys are sitting there and I, again my imagination runs wild knees are clacking strenuous hour after hour possibly days and now Joshua wants to have a, uh, a rock carrying competition it's like, yeah, go get 12 stones. Now, the guys in the room, tell me, guys, rhetorical question, how big are those stones going to be? you got 12 guys, handpicked by God, and you're all going to pick a stone for your tribe. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. These guys probably had back problems for the rest of their lives. because were, And we're just hypothetical here. They probably got the biggest stones they possibly could get and placed them there at the priest's feet. Interesting. Meanwhile, the guys are still, could you just hurry up, please? But they could also be there just in absolute stone-cold silence because of the reverence of what they're carrying. We really don't know. But the focus, again, is going to be on the Lord. Now, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about these 40,000 soldiers from Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Because their families, their children, their livestock, are now undefended on the other side of the Jordan. That's what compromise with the Lord gets you. It weakens your family. And now they have to kiss their families goodbye to fulfill this covenant. Now, in their defense, they do it. And they're crossing over. But when the priest removes his foot from the Jordan, how do they get back across? You're swimming now. You've got to get in a boat now. After the wars are over, after you've been released for the victory this is going to be a multi-year war there's no leave there is no reprieve there's no flights back there's no zoom phone calls no no time with your family who's farming for them who's providing for them who's um, taking care of the flocks the wives and the children that are left i guess See, we always, again, we're not always seeing our part to play as a church or as a a body of Christ. We get focused on just the priest or we get focused on just that, that miracle or just Joshua. And we forget each and every one of us has a part to play. And it's important. You know, the youngest person in this room right now has a part to play in the family of God. You're not here for entertainment and you're definitely not here to be babysit until you're old enough to make a decision if you go to church or not you're to have a relationship with god and a part to play same thing with the oldest person here the lord is not done with you yet you're in enemy territory now pick up your sword and your trowel like it said in nehemiah and stand in the wall because we know it's not our physical strength it's not our age it's not our intelligence that the lord uses the only ability that we provide is availability because it's the lord that does the work let's continue now in verses 19 through 20 and then we'll expound a little bit more now the people came up from the jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped in gilgal on the east border of jericho And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. So throughout the rest of this campaign, Gilgal is going to be their home base where they set up. They're going to launch their attacks and their um, movements into the holy land, the promised land at Gilgal. Their operations center, their medical center, their battle plans everything's going to come out of Gilgal and this is where they're going to set up this monument to say look at look at the Lord got us through the Jordan the Lord got us through the 40 years in the desert the Lord fed us with manna the Lord had a pillar of cloud a pillar of fire the Lord brought us through Egypt he destroyed Pharaoh look at the pillars teach your children about the pillars what are the pillars here what are these rocks for I keep saying pillars but if they're rocks look at these rocks what do they represent And it's a memorial to them for future victory. Now, this is our Gilgal. Calvary Chapel, Low Country, this is our base camp. This isn't our burial place. This isn't a place where we come and worship history or we talk about what the Calvary Chapel movement used to do or talk about all our old churches. Those things are memorial stones to say, look what God has done. Now let's go and launch out. And wherever God's called us in this movement, whether it's at, the private Christian school or public school, whether it's the workplace or the retirement place, whether it's the golf range or it's downrange in the military. It doesn't matter where God launches us from this place. We want to take ground for Him. We want to walk in the promises that He's given us. And this should become a base camp where our wounded are treated, our soldiers are armed with the Word of God. Remember Ephesians 6, the sword of the Lord? It's the Word of God. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate the shoes, all of it. We want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, and then we want to be launched and see what the Lord does with us. Will there be victories? Yes. Will there be losses? Of course. But when we come back to our home camp, whether we're licking our wounds or we're celebrating, we remember we can do nothing apart from Christ. It's His movement, and it's His promises, and we're obedient to Him, and it's His work. And when we lose, we're encouraged. The promises of God are yes and amen. And when we win, we say, less of me and more of you, Lord, because we know it's not from us. In us dwells no good thing, nothing, Lord. We know the victory is from you. Now, again, that's a bit of an eisegesis here. I'm stretching it, but I believe it applies. For them, historically, Gilgal is going to be the base camp where they are going to launch a monumental military campaign which historically and strategically speaking is completely nuts. They have no country. They have no way of retreat. They're completely outnumbered. They don't have the right equipment. They don't have the right amount of arms. They don't have the right amount of men. They have no food to even be victorious. They don't have fields. They don't have farms. All they have is what's on their back. Everything they're going to get. They're going to take it from the enemy. Everything they're going to get, they're going to get from their enemy's camps. From being uncompromising with the Lord's promises. And Whenever they do compromise, what happens? They fail. Hey, We are in this world. We are in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We are in the enemy's camp. And some of you guys have been getting a lot of enemy property. I praise God for it. I praise God for it. Just remember, you're turning it all back in. And you're going to the promised land. One of our brothers here this, this evening said, I've never seen a hearse with a writer trailer behind it, with a moving trailer behind it. And so don't get caught up with the stuff. You know, We need to be focused on the ark, on the, on the stones, on the Lord and what he's doing. Too many get too distracted. So distracted that we forget there's an enemy. So distracted that we forget that the world is against us, not for us. Only the Lord is for us. Satan, the enemy, the world, they're not for us. And so keep that mentality of being in Gilgal. Come to church to be refreshed and equipped. The battle is not here. If you come here and you think this is where the battle is, you've got a problem. Come see me, we will pray and we will talk. If you think the battle is here and the relationship's here, yeah, of course there's problems in the camp sometimes. But let's iron it out so we can all be on the, on the wall together. No, the, the issue is in the world. If you are a Christian here this evening or you're watching it online and you are more comfortable in the world than in the church, we got a problem. We got a problem. You should never be more comfortable in enemy territory than you are in your base camp. The enemy has tricked you. but that's okay. the word of God washes us. Ephesians 5, it cleanses us, it sets us straight, sets us on the right path. It's, it's good for the Word of God, for doctrine, reproof for correction and instruction and in righteousness. We get thoroughly equipped back out, back out. Well let's read now verses 21 through 24. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, When your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, Excuse me, this, is, this verse is too good to mess up. Verse 24. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know, for the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us through the Word of God. Let your children, let your children. We've been talking about making these, these connections, about passing on the truths of God's words, the doctrines of Scripture, the Holy Spirit... Speaking to us, whatever generation we're at, and we also talked about how we can restart this connection. Even if that chain's been broken, we're going to start building those links. But now, we get a hint here at the end of this chapter, why? Why? Not just for the sakes of your children, or for the sakes of a legacy, or for society. What does it say here? That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. All the peoples of the earth. That's what this is about. The nation of Israel itself is a people called by God to show God's magnificence to the world. They were to be a kingdom of priests. They failed because they can't do it in the law. They can't do it in their own work. So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment because he's perfect. Only through Christ can we have salvation and victory. But... The principle is the same. God used Israel in their failures and their victories to magnify and show himself to the whole world, just like he's doing to us right now through the word. How can you share the goodness of God, the victories of God, the works of God, if you yourself don't have victories? If you yourself don't have memorial stones? If you can't say the Lord delivered me through this, or he's changing me now, or I lived my whole life for the world and now he's showing me the truth, Those are victories. Those are stones you can look back on. And they're not just for you. They're so you can share it to the whole world. You could share it to the lady at Sam's Club that's getting yelled at, getting berated because they say that she's too slow on that machine. And you could share the grace of God with her. The person that cut you off. There's the real warfare on 170. That's where the real war is. You're talking to the Lord. Well, show them some grace. Show them the grace that... The Lord has shown you. Maybe it's in the job front. Maybe it's in your home front. Maybe it's with your children. We need to have these battles, wins and losses, so we can look back on them. We can train up our families, and then our families and our church and us as individuals can share these victories to the whole world and say, we have a God who saves. We have a God who heals. We have a God who is victorious, who keeps his promises who loves his creation and gave himself sacrificially for its salvation. That's, he sent his son to save the world, not to condemn it, but we're going to share the truth of God's word. And he is the only way of salvation. Now, we can do that because of the victories, because we've walked through the Jordan ourselves. We have those things there that we can look back on. Now, where are the stones today? I, I, t- I told you a little earlier. I hinted you. Where are they? If you've been around any body, any moving body of water at all for any amount of time you know one thing it does not stay in the same place so we have no idea I was telling a friend of mine over at Hunting Island they had that big lighthouse there that lighthouse was moved because the original location of the lighthouse would be in the water in the ocean because the water had eroded the shore and they had to move it back well the same thing is true of rivers rivers move over time and so We have no idea where the bank of that area is, where Gilgal was. Those stones could still be there, stacked up. They could be long gone, used by some uh, crusader army for trebuchet rounds or used by the Romans to build palisades. I have no idea. But we get caught up in things like that. What is it about human nature that we get worried about where those stones are? The Word of God is written on the tablets of our heart, our stony hearts. That's where it's written, and that's where it's shared. We always want to have a thing, a place, a go-to, a symbol. And the Lord removes these things from us. I personally believe that's why the cross is nowhere to be found. That's why the ark is nowhere to be found. That's why we're still even trying to figure out exactly where the temple was. That's why the Lord's body he, he just made sure the Lord's body was gone right? he just upped and walked out so that we couldn't have a funeral place to say well this is his tomb here oh yes I know there's places they say that it is maybe it is, maybe it isn't well you know this Catholic ch- castle has a portion of the Lord's cross if you put all the pieces of the cross together you could build a battleship it's all fake Why does the Lord do these things? He removes these things so that we're not beholden to them. And I'm going to say something a little more dangerous right before we go into prayer. Personally, that may be why the Lord let the Calvary Chapel movement split. So we can't glory in the movement itself because it's God who works in these things. Who cares about the Calvary Chapel name? I do. It's important to me, but not as important as the glory in the movement of God. He doesn't need our denomination, or excuse me, our non-denominational denomination. He doesn't need that. He definitely doesn't need a 1970s dove. That's important to me because this is a stone, a stone of memorial. This shows me God's work. He is far more interested in His Spirit working through the Word of God in you today, right now. He's far more important in your ministry that you're doing a now, because He is the God of the living, not the dead. The living. It's a living movement. And so we need to go back out there. We need to look at these things and we need to take ground. What that ground is, I don't know. How is the Lord leading you? Maybe it's to be that priest, to stand and just hold. Just hold the glory of God. Just stand st- uh, fast against the enemy. Maybe it's to move faster. Maybe it's just to get across the Jordan faster. Maybe it's to stand and speak. Maybe it's to share. Maybe it's to get on board. Hey, maybe you're realizing you're leaving your family on the other side of the Jordan. We should have been over on the other side. Hey, walk in the victories God has given you today. His mercies are new every single day. It is true that as we sow, that shall we also reap. But we also bask in the glory of His grace and we search the depths of His love and we find it's endless. So knowing these promises, let's go to war in prayer, spiritual war, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not physical, but spiritual, mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. Let's allow the Lord to move through his spirit here at the base camp so we can prepare the field for us to go out and be victorious in his name. Lord, I thank you for blessing me with some liberty with your scripture this evening. And I pray that it's written true on our hearts. I pray that you would empower it through your spirit. And I thank you that this is no memorial, no mausoleum, Lord. It's a hospital and a place of preparation. And I pray that you would have your way tonight in us, that you would work in us, that you would prepare us and send us out to go forth, share the gospel to the whole world as we pray this evening in Jesus' name.